Some of you may have felt a little uncomfortable. Maybe you've even been in those situations yourselves. And all those people we saw were standing at the crossroads. <laughs> whether they should go in, whether they should go on, whether they should do or walk away from what stood before them. I uh, just want to make a few disclaimers this morning before we start this subject <laughs> and our talk on this subject today. First of all, uh, there will be things we're going to talk about today that are not kid-appropriate. That's why we have this thing called Adventure Canyon. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm the, in case you didn't know, my name is Dave Elsog. I'm the Adventure Canyon director here at K2. And uh, for grades, for kids that are just new babies to all the way through grade six. And so, um, if you got a kiddo in here, you might want to slip them out right now, take them over to Adventure Canyon, or go get a coffee in the lobby or something. I just want you to know that. Second disclaimer I want you to make, I want to make today for you, is as we talk about the subject of sex, there may be some things that are really uncomfortable for you to hear. It might bring back some really vivid or even bad memories for you. There is no judgment, zero judgment here today, okay? There's no condemnation for what you did 20 years ago or two years ago or, or 20 minutes ago. God wants us to move forward and follow his right paths, and that's what we're going to talk about today. If you're a Christ follower, when Christ comes into your life, it just, all sexual temptation goes away. Did you know that? That's, you don't have any experience that. It doesn't. It doesn't go away. So if you're a Christ follower, you're going to be at this crossroads. You will be at it. And when you get there, you need to know, what does God say about this? What does he want me to know about this? You know, if you're not a Christ follower, you might be sitting in here and you say, that guy's full of it. He has no idea. He's an old fogey, which is a little true. Um, but I just would like to say to you, listen, listen to what God says and see if it doesn't make sense today. Um, Andy Marshall was supposed to teach this morning, and uh, because of the results of this subject, he's in the hospital with his wife, and she's giving birth to a baby. <laughs> so a week ago, without telling me uh, what the subject was, they, he came up to me and goes, hey, can you fill in for me next week? I really feel like, you know, the birth is imminent, and you know, you know, I, I really feel like I'm not going to be able to make it, you know, and she's due in a couple weeks, but she might be coming early. And I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in for you. What's the subject? <laughs> Anger, money, what? what, what? Sex. Oh, oh, great. <laughs> so, for those of you who may be sitting here and you're feeling uh, uncomfortable about sitting here listening to this, sitting next to the people and around people, you're... I'm about 100 times more uncomfortable standing up and talking about it. <laughs> Just so you know, all right, we'll put that out there. And some of you might be even wondering, why are we even tackling this subject in church, of all places? Not supposed to talk about that stuff in church. And here's why. Because as a pastor, I've been a pastor for many years. I've done a lot of counseling with people and helping people get through life issues. And, uh, and we have several pastors on our staff here. And we're walking through difficult issues with people. I'm telling you, this issue is tearing people up. And it's tearing families up. 
And I'm telling you, this issue, whether you're married or single or young or old, I'm telling you, this is a major issue that we've got to deal with, and we've got to look to God for his wisdom. We stand at the crossroads, and we're wondering, what should I do, God? We've got to look at that. You know, otherwise good people that we know here, here at K2, otherwise good people are standing at the crossroads, and they've, some of them realize we've gone down the wrong road. <laughs> I've made some really bad mistakes. There are people who could be sitting here right now who are trapped by the addiction of pornography. There are people sitting here right now that are thinking about, or maybe even right now, cheating on their spouse. It's common, and it's real. Other people come to us. <laughs> they share stories of how, they're, how they've been sexually abused or raped or abandoned. This is a huge topic. And frankly, <laughs> I was walking into this message go, you know, a week ago going, I really don't want to talk about this. And then as I begin to pray and start thinking about all the people in my life, I'm so sick and tired of seeing my friends, people I love and care about, being destroyed by the misuse of sex. You know, there's many experts out there <laughs> that teach that sexual freedom and, and no restraint, uh, do what feels right, do what feels good, and everything's okay. But it's rarely talked about in the context of marriage. You know, we refer to people no longer as spouses, but as partners, or we're in a stable relationship. And television, movies, and music industry pummels us with messages about sex. Pummels us. Just watch commercials. And its views are not usually God's views. On the other hand, the Bible teaches us a lot about the proper use of sex, but it has very little influence on our society today. I pulled some statistics from a book written by John Burke, who's a pastor in Austin, Texas. He did a lot of the research for me, thankfully. And, uh, but some of the stuff that we're talking about today, he did the research on, and I'm just taking some of his notes. But he points out in his book, he says, the average young adult will get 14,000 messages about sex from music, television, and movies every year. Every year. That means between the ages of 13 and 23, during the formative years of a young adult, they're viewing and hearing and receiving over 100,000 messages about sex. And most of it's outside the context of marriage. And most of it are positive messages about how great it really is. And just think about it. We watch TV commercials about tennis shoes and cars and orange juice, and that's how we make our decisions in life. And so we've been barraged by these messages. And it really has changed the way our culture thinks about this. And there's a lot of reasons why people think that sex outside of marriage is okay. 
A lot of couples move in together, and they say this, well, with so much divorce in our world today, we feel like we should live together and experience each other and then make our decision if everything works out okay that we get married. I've heard that a lot. Other couples say, well, we're saving a lot of money by living together before marriage, and we share the bills, and it's, it's one household, and, and everything will work out. And then if things don't work out, we don't have to go through a messy divorce, and we can just go our separate ways. But it's not that easy. In fact, Rutgers University, these aren't Christians, these aren't pastors, these aren't people looking for God's wisdom. They decided to study couples who lived together before marriage. And the results of their study were pretty amazing. They found that couples who live together prior to marriage have a 50% higher chance of divorce than those who don't live together. Basically saying, you're putting your, you're putting your marriage at risk, at a much higher risk, at a much higher percentage by living together prior to marriage. Their conclusion was that no positive contribution of cohabitation to marriage has ever been found. In fact, if you read the study, it's about 14 pages long, their conclusion. They found all kinds of negative responses and negative results to living together and having sex outside the context of marriage, including a higher chance of abuse and a higher chance of abandonment. I don't think that's what God wants for our lives. You know, I don't know, if, if God is who God is, I, and he created the universe and he created us and every integral part of my body and everything, I think he's probably a pretty smart guy. I don't know. What would you say? Pretty smart. If he is who he says he is, then his wisdom has got to be way better than mine. Okay? And so we've been looking at the book of Proverbs as we stand at the crossroads. And we're going to look in the book of Proverbs today and say, see what God is saying. And here is a father a father to son conversation um, in Proverbs chapter 5. And it's really God the Father saying to us, whether you can put yourself in it, whether you're a man or a woman, put yourself in this and hear what God is saying in his warnings. So let's read this in Psalm, in Proverbs chapter 5. It says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. Oh, it looks really good, feels really good, sounds really good. But in the end, she is a bitter gall, a poison, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the, to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, and she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Let's say that again. 
Listen, this is the father talking to his son, okay? Son, hey, Junior, listen to me. Don't turn aside from what I'm saying because what I'm saying to you is truth. Keep a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your strength to others and your years to the one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers. I would not listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole of the assembly. God's wisdom here today is to say, look, stay away from sexual impurity. Stay far away from it. Stay far away from pornography and fantasy and going into places where you shouldn't go. Being in relationships you shouldn't be part of. Because that leads to death and the grave. Many of us have experienced that. That the way, we've gone that way and we've experienced the spiritual death. That is the result. And as I was driving in today and thinking about what we're going to talk about today, and as I was praying, and God, just help me, because, you know, I just need a lot of help with this. And I was thinking about the pain that I see in other people. I can just imagine Jesus, he loves you guys more than I love you, to be honest. And the pain he must feel when we suffer pain. Some of you might not be convinced. You might say, ah, what does it hurt? It's no big deal. Many people have the concept that casual sex and sex outside of marriage and extramarital uh, sex and pornography and all that stuff, eh, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't really matter. But you know what I realize? It's that the reason why we go after all those things that are down the wrong path is because we're really seeking what's down the right path real and true intimacy, a sense of significance, an intimacy that is lifelong and passionate and filled with love. That's what we're seeking. But we find it in all the wrong places. You see, a lot of guys will just go after sex because it makes them feel good or it's a conquest. But then they just train themselves that sex is just self-gratification. That's just wrong. A lot of women use sex to, to control a relationship, to have power in a relationship. And this, too, is self-centered and manipulative, and it's not the way to the intimacy and the fulfillment that God wants to bring. We train our minds to use sex for our self-centered needs, and it backfires on all the relationships around us. You know, as we've, as we've been looking at the series on standing at the crossroads, every single one of us will be there when it comes to this issue. It doesn't really matter who we are. We'll all be there. 
And like we said, we can go God's way or we can go my way. And when we go God's way, there's life. And when we go my way, we mess things up. At least I do. I don't know about you. I mess things up when I go my way. The truth is this, that God is not opposed to sex. He created it. He's opposed to sex outside the context of marriage because that's where it brings pain. You know, I'm not opposed to my daughter playing with our dog, but I am opposed to her playing with a wild dog that's going to destroy her. You know, there's been some disturbing results from our society in the last 40 years going down the road of sexual freedom. Because in the 60s, man, that's what it was. Hey, we're going to take off all the restraints. We're just going to go after whatever we feel like, whatever feels good. This is great. And we took off all the restraints and said, ah, God's way is just a bunch of bunk. We're going we're to go our way. And the results have been staggering and have caused a ton of pain in people's lives. Following the sexual revolution, divorce rate tripled. Tripled. Teen pregnancy rates soared. Where sometimes it's been up to 40% of teenage girls will become pregnant. One out of four people, get this, one out of four people in America will suffer from a sexually transmitted disease. Okay? I don't know about you, but I've seen these commercials, right? Get a sexually transmitted disease, then you can ride your pony in the, in the, on the beach with your boyfriend, and everything will be great into the sunset. Oh, you just do, take us the little pill, and everything will be fine. Yeah. You know, pornography used to be a pinup girl, and now it's pictures of children being exploited and women being exploited. For someone else's gratification. One government estimate said that one out of four girls and one out of ten boys will be sexually molested as a child. Those aren't the results we see on TV, but they're the results that are actually happening because we're out of control. We've searched down the road of sexual freedom, hoping to find sexual fulfillment. In the end, we found sexual emptiness. I'm going to invite my friend Nathan Breedlove to come up here. And Nathan is one of the leaders in our uh, Celebrate Recovery ministry. And in Celebrate Recovery, it's for all kinds of addictions, sexual addiction, uh, alcohol, drug addiction, and anything else I left off there? Anger, codependency, right? food addictions, Yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. If you're addicted to yadas, you know, all right. I'm going to tell one of the worst jokes in the world right now, okay? Okay. If someone's addicted to Thanksgiving leftovers, can they stop cold turkey? That's pretty good. Dude. All right. I wanted to loosen you up there, buddy. I'm glad yeah. you're not the only one nervous. In, uh, in Celebrate Recovery, uh, the people going through it are asked to write down and to read uh, their testimonies. So that's what Nathan's going to do today. So he's going to read this so he can be precise. And, and uh, thank you, Nathan, for sharing.
your life with us today. Thanks, Dave. Hi, everyone. I'm Nathan Breedlove. I'm 48. I'm the father of two, ages 22 and 20. My son Chris is married in the Navy, has two kids of his own, and is studying to design video games. My daughter Lindsay was married in May, and both she and her husband are on staff at my former church in Colorado. She is studying to be a CNA, and he's studying to be a pastor. She also just told me she's three weeks pregnant with my third grandchild. So I've, thank you. I've been married twice, eight years and six years, and I've been single now for nine years. I'm primarily, however, a believer in Christ. I received him at age 23. I also struggle with sexual addiction and codependency. I define my struggle with sexual addiction and codependency not as two separate issues, but two issues that are inseparably linked. Codependency is the search for significance, which is original sin. It is the mother of all addiction. It is the root of all addiction. I'm going to be somebody, and I will take real steps to control my world and feel like a somebody. I will even try to get you to think well of me, making me feel like I'm a somebody. Allow me to talk about us. As human beings, we, when we feel so insignificant, so hurt, so alone, so angry, so sad, or so depressed, we will take real steps in control, to control our life and play God. In an effort to take control of our life we feel, and feel significant, we might choose to drink, drug, sex, gamble, rage, or binge. We might lie, chill, steal, cheat, choose to drink, uh, spend, cut, resent, be a perfectionist, or become arrogant. Like the country song says about drinking, I feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof. All the habits, all bad habits are that way. I feel like I'm in control, like I am a somebody. Speaking on anger two weeks ago, Ryan Coley said it well when he said it another way. I get angry because someone makes me feel unimportant. But the bad behavior is not the real problem. The real problem is self-will and denial. My sexual struggle today is what few would call sexual addiction. Premarital sex, remaining abstinent in a dating relationship is my struggle. I used to think it wasn't that big a deal. Though I knew I was wrong, I reasoned that I was normal, as though God grades on a curve comparing me to everyone else. My thought was, I'm like many other Christian singles. If I'm in love, then it's okay to be sexually intimate. But I didn't stop there. I pushed the line back. If I'm in like, if I'm in like, then it's okay to be sexually intimate because it might lead to love. I was justifying myself with excuses. I was seeking a good thing, true intimacy, just seeking it the wrong way. It was over a year ago that I stepped out of my denial, admitted sex outside of marriage was ruining my life, and called it sexual addiction. I was very reluctant to admit that because 17 years ago, in 1990, I was delivered from a serious pornographic addiction. With one exception in 1997, I've not acted on this addiction, so why not rest on my laurels and call it a thing of the past? I was trying to sail on yesterday's wind. I was trying to live on the Jesus I had yesterday. My addiction to pornography started at a young age. I really identified with the U2 song Dave Nelson used several weeks back. Stuck in a moment. You've got yourself stuck in a moment, and you can't get out of it. When I was seven, my dad died on December 23rd, the day he was released from jail. Mom had to go to work, and at a child care provider's home, I had easy access to a constant source of porn magazines. Looking at porn magazines was seemingly effective way of escaping the pains of life. I loved my dad, and I still miss him. He taught me green light go, red light stop, while standing in the seat next to him. He taught me how to ride a bike and march like a soldier. Once he embarrassed me at church. During testimony time, he told how I asked if the preacher who wore nice suits was so rich because we put money in the plate. 
I was mortified at five years old. As a young man, he was a moonshine runner. He also grew up to be a jack of all trades and a master of some. He was a barber, gunsmith, gun dealer, and antique dealer, but mostly a musician. He played 13 instruments. He invented, built, and patented a new kind of five-string banjo, his favorite instrument. Most any day would find him with a trunk load of guns or banjos and a cigar in his mouth. He even let me shoot a machine gun at age six. Like most addictions, more is never enough. By age 19, I was using porn, uh, just using porn magazines to escape my pain was not enough. Drinking age in Arizona was 19. For my birthday, co-workers took me to a topless bar and I liked it. Soon after, I went to a prostitute for the first time. I'd switched to live porn. I became heavily addicted to topless bars and occasionally a prostitute. Most people laugh when I say I was addicted to topless bars and ask if that's even possible. It's very possible. I didn't go constantly, but about once a year when life hurt too much, I would binge and spend a lot of money on topless bars. My mom passed away last year at age 79, and she was pretty amazing. She lost her own dad at age six, which began a lifelong series of men leaving her feeling rejected. Before marrying, she had two little girls from a previous marriage. With one on her hip and another in her hand, she would go door to door scrubbing toilets and selling mason shoes. She raised four kids on a factory worker's pay, eventually retiring from Honeywell after 27 years. But my relationship with my mom was really messed up. There are many women who ask their sons to fill a void in their heart their husbands or fathers leave behind. That's what happened to me. Her relationship with me was closer than with my dad. She told me secrets, discussed her life struggles, and even her struggles with my dad. When it came time to cut the cord and allow me to move into manhood, she made it difficult for me. As a young boy, she told me, sometimes nature has it that only sons grow up and never marry. They just stay home and take care of their mother. I felt guilty wanting to be off on my own, happily married. I'm told that with my family of origin, a distant or absentee father, and an overprotective or controlling mother, I missed a real good chance of growing up in a gay lifestyle. After eight years of marriage, when my kids were four and six, I went to a prostitute for a second time, and my wife divorced me. Losing my family and forcing my kids to grow up in a broken home was enough to make me finally listen to the good Christian counseling I had been getting. I had been hearing how I was totally new in Christ, hearing that I had a brand new identity, hearing that based on that new identity, I was now free to live the way Jesus wanted me to live. I was now free to allow him to live his life in me and through me. It was 1990, and after 24 years, I stopped using porn to soothe my pain. Pornography was the easy way to feel like a man, and I was tired of taking the easy route. Still, I was mostly just trying to manage my behavior. I went to divorce care, and I heard that I should wait three to five years to begin a serious relationship. But hey, I was a fast learner, so I remarried in only 15 months. After six years of marriage in 1998, I divorced my second wife for habitually lying to me. I was almost 40, twice divorced, and really hungry to have the last half of my life look much different than the first half. I knew I needed at least five years of being single. I wanted to work on myself to become a healthy person so I could be able to attract a healthy person. I've since realized that I need to be a healthy person just for me, not to attract a mate. I began aggressively addressing codependency in my life after meeting a new group of Christian bikers. After knowing me for only one hour, they had a copy of Codependent No More personally delivered to me. Didn't affect me. <laughs> I never read it. Due to a good dose of ADD, I don't read well, but the subtitle alone, How to Stop Controlling Others and Care for Yourself, has done me wonders. Enter Celebrate Recovery. What I did do was join the men's codependency group at Celebrate Recovery. 
being in it almost three years and leading it almost two years has changed my life. Now I lead the men's sexual addiction group here at K2. Back to my comment that codependency or the search for significance is the root of all addiction. I've learned that my search for significance has led me to seek relationship more than I seek God. That search has become my God. I turn the basic human need for true intimacy between a man and a woman into an all-out quest for a mate, thinking, if only I was happily married. I've allowed that search to define me. It was my way of taking control of my life and being my own God. Principle one of Celebrate Recovery is a paraphrase of the words of Jesus, where he said, happier those who know they are spiritually poor. Principle one reads, realize I'm not God. I admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life has become unmanageable. For 12 years, I was so glad that God changed my behavior and delivered me from pornography. But just changing my behavior was like mowing the weeds without pulling the roots. Celebrate Recovery uses eight principles based on the central teaching of Jesus Christ and the Christ-centered 12 steps. Through these truths, I am able to get to the root of my problems. I'm finally learning to be happy the way Jesus said to be happy. Getting more of Jesus' love for me naturally changes my behavior. At Celebrate Recovery, one day at a time, living one moment at a time, I'm learning to overcome my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Will you join me? Thank you. Thank you, Nathan, and uh, thank you for sharing your life with us. And uh, we do have a Celebrate Recovery table in the back in the lobby for uh, those of you who know somebody who might need it. Of course, I'm not talking about any of you today. Uh, but it is, it is um, an incredible, incredible program, Christ-centered program. And what, what Nathan attests to is there is new life, <laughs> and life can change for the better. I brought some uh, props from uh, Adventure Canyon, a little Play-Doh. You like that? Okay. And uh, this blue Play-Doh is going to represent a guy, and uh, this yellow is going to represent a woman. And I want to just share with you how God really intended sex to be. Seriously. You guys are thinking, oh my goodness, what's he going to do with that Play-Doh? <laughs> Think about it. Okay. <laughs> when God created uh, a man and a woman, he said, the man and the woman should leave their father and mother, cling to each other, and become one. <laughs> that's what he said. And they should become one flesh. And that's how Jesus, and that's how God intended it to be. To be fulfilling. And life to be fulfilling. So the two will become one flesh. Now that's all God intended. You go to the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul talks about how our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That if we have Christ in us, that our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we should not corrupt them in any way, but have them to be pleasing to God. But then he talks about sexual impurity in that same passage. He talks about that if a man were to go to a prostitute, he becomes one with her. He becomes one flesh with her. And we shouldn't be doing that to the temple of the Holy Spirit because it's not right. Scientists 
who studied sex. Now, some of you guys are wondering how you get that job. Um, <laughs> scientists who've studied sex have actually recorded that, that certain chemicals are released in people who are, who are having sex and that those chemical agents create an emotional and spiritual bond between a man and a woman. And that that bond is so strong that it locks images and memories in our minds, sometimes for the rest of our lives. This is how God created us. Now, in Proverbs chapter 5, at the end of the chapter, you know, we already read about the warning against the, going the wrong way. Um, here's, the, here's what God wants us to do to go the right way. So in Proverbs chapter 5, uh, the image here is a man and his well. Interesting. It's, you know, he used to go to the well to get water in the old days, in the Bible days. But this well represented his life and his wife and his family. And let's just read this. It says, this is a father to his son again. Drink water from your own cisterns, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow into the streets and your streams of water into the public squares? Should you really be taking your private life, your sexual life into the public squares? No, let them alone be yours, never to be shared with strangers. May, they, may your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always, and may you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Oh, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines his paths. So here we go. The way God intended it, a man and a woman, and the two shall become one flesh. And that's how he intended it to be. For most of us, that hasn't been our experience. But this is how God intended it to be. And why is it so painful when that comes to an end? Or we mess it up, or we go seek after something other than our marriage? Rather than sex and marriage, we rip it apart. <laughs> you can't pull the yellow out of the blue. And you can't pull the blue out of the yellow. There's a part of it. Because the two have become one flesh. And see, that's how God intended it to be. And that's how he can actually make it to be in your life no matter where you've been or what you've done. God created sex inside of marriage to be the most fulfilling, satisfying, captivating, God-pleasing activities on earth. And God created sex to be something that brings us great fulfillment. Now, some of you may be here today and you're going, well, I'm single. How does that, how does, how do I fit in to that equation? How does being single help me to find sexual fulfillment? Well, the Bible talks about that. You're in good, you're, you're in good luck. Here we go. 
The Bible talks about that. Do you know that Jesus was single and sexually pure and lived a very fulfilling life? Paul the Apostle was single, sexually pure, and lived a fulfilling life. In fact, Paul addresses this very thing. He says, for those who are single, guess what? You can find your fulfillment in serving Christ in a greater way, get this, in a greater way than those who are married can find fulfillment in serving Christ. Because you don't have to worry about the needs of your spouse. You only worry about the needs of Christ. And in serving him, you can find total fulfillment in life. Remember what I said at the beginning? There's no judgment. There's no condemnation for what, what you've done in your past. But God says you can get back on the right path. Here's how I know this. Jesus was in the temple and the, the spiritual leaders, the religious leaders, brought this woman who was uh, caught in adultery before Jesus to test him. And they brought her before him and they threw her down in front of him and then they picked up rocks and they said, Hey, Jesus, the law says that if a woman's found in committing adultery, that we can cast stones at her and kill her. What do you think we should do? Jesus didn't say a word. And they're like, come on, Jesus, just tell us. What would, what should we do? And Jesus simply says, he who is without sin, he who hasn't sinned at all, let him cast the first stone. And they thought about it, and they realized none of them were without sin. They were all in the same boat, and they just dropped their rocks and walked away. And I imagine this woman just cowering and thinking that death was imminent. And Jesus says to her, he says, woman, where are they? No one, has no one condemned you? And she looks up, and they're all gone. And I want you to hear these words of Jesus, because these are the words of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. See, Jesus could have said, yeah, you committed adultery, you've gone down the wrong path, you've done it, you're condemned to hell. He had all the power and the right to do it. But he says, I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you. But then he says this. What's the last statement he says to this woman, the last thing she hears? Now go and leave your life of sin. Yeah, you've traveled down the wrong path. Yeah, you've gone your way. You've messed up your life. But come on. There's a way to get back on the right path. You don't have to go the wrong way anymore. I want to pray with you guys today. And this may have brought up a lot of wounds in, in your life. And, um, but God wants to heal them, and he, he does have 
a new path for us. But I want to pray for you today and pray with you and ask you to actually invite you to say this prayer in your heart uh, today. So if you just bow your heads with me. If you want to just silently whisper this to God. Say, God, my Father, I seek your wisdom. I offer my life to your service. Forgive me for my selfishness. Going my own way and help me to hear your voice. Help me to follow your wisdom and walk in your path and seek your will. In Jesus' name, amen.